0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Wednesday episode for Week 12 of the 2023-2024 NBA season. I am your host, Carson. Welcome to the show, and or welcome back to the show. Uh, both previous listeners and brand-new listeners alike, we want to express our appreciation for your support on the show um, and for tuning in. We're, of course, on all sorts of platforms, so uh, we've expanded our, our reach in the uh, recent weeks, so... Wherever you're hearing us, um, again, we appreciate it, and definitely we would love for you to continue to support us, so keep tuning in. Uh, You can check out our social media pages as well, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, Twitter. So uh, as you can probably tell, still a little bit sick. Uh, I was sick uh, our last episode on Monday, and I'm better. I'm definitely not uh, laboring as much through the sickness as I was on Monday's episode, but... It'll still be a little bit of a struggle, but uh, I have some water on hand, and uh, it should be a little bit of a more brief episode anyways, uh, so hopefully shouldn't be too bad. But that being said, excuse me, hopefully we don't have too many of those in this episode. Let's go ahead and jump into it, waste no more time. Uh, we're going to start with our five-on-five five drill, our six-men, our uh, key news, so our game summaries and our news from the last couple of days of NBA action. All right, so we have three games from Monday and then two games from Tuesday, last night, that we're going to focus on. And we're going to start with a big one, the big matchup for Monday night, uh, one of the biggest. Uh, the Indiana Pacers hosting the boss of the Celtics, a rematch of uh, the game they had played two days prior, where the Celtics had uh, made a pretty big statement in that win, uh, limiting Indiana's offense. Of course, an offense that's ranked number one in the league, or at least in the top Uh, two or three in the league so far this season. Uh, And it was Indiana in Indiana, excuse me. So they had a, uh, you know, they wanted to get at least one win for the home crowd. Um, I mean, they had a win earlier in the season in the in-season tournament. So that was a nice uh, boost for them at that time. But of course the, the Pacers have been uh, back in a a good groove, you know, they slumped for a week or two after the in-season tournament, but they've uh, been playing a lot better in recent weeks. And, uh they're able to keep that going despite you know their last time out against the Celtics being uh being beat they came back and uh got it went one for one over those two games they got the win monday night 133 to 131 your final in indianapolis with some clutch free throw shooting from benedict Matherin. um back and forth game 25 lead changes celtics led by uh, as much as 11, kind of around the halftime area. Otherwise, uh, most of the game was within five points. Uh, back and forth affair. Um, and it looked like it could be a rough situation for Indiana, especially with Tyrese Halliburton going down in the second quarter with uh, a very awkward-looking uh, injury. He, of course, did not play the rest of the game. We'll talk about that with our key news as well. But kind of a splits move looked like maybe the floor had a little bit of uh, a little bit of moisture. uh, So he, he slipped and so he, he didn't play the rest of the game. And so that was a big factor for the Pacers, but they were able to rally with him uh, sidelined. And uh, was that? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So, so he, he was sidelined and they're able to rally with, uh, you know, great backup play. Credit to TJ McConnell. The Pacers are in a in that spot. They do well in the sense that they can have a backup point guard like TJ McConnell, who fits their identity well in terms of wanting to push the pace. Uh, he can be a pest for other teams in terms of the defensive intensity and hustle. He's a good distributor. He can make shots himself as well. Uh, so they're fortunate to have him and uh, kind of a wild end sequence McConnell was the one who helped tie the game uh, under a minute to go. Then they traded a couple of missed shots. Uh, Then Benedict Matherin has a chance to shoot a three-pointer to to win the game. He misses, but he's fouled by Chris hapspor of the Celtics. Uh, So he goes to the free throw line, makes both uh, with just uh, a fraction of a second left, and they're able to hold on for the victory. Uh, So credit to Matthew, and you look at the box where he led them in scoring period, 26 points for him in the game, five of nine from three. Um, He also had three assists, four rebounds, two steals. Um, He was an exciting player last season in terms of a rookie class and his high scoring in a bench role for the Pacers. He seems to be thriving better. He was starting the season for the Pacers in a few games, but he seems to be thriving a little bit more. In that six-man type role, Um, so credit to him there. Pacers also got 17 points from Aaron Neesmith, 16 points, eight rebounds from Miles Turner. Off the bench, 15 from Buddy Heald, 13 from Obi Toppin, and then 12 points from T.J. McConnell, who also had seven assists and two steals. So very balanced production for the Pacers, was able to help them out. They overcame 40 points from Jalen Brown in the game. He was uh, red hot throughout the game. Uh, Chris Ops Porzingis with 19, Drew Holiday with 21, uh, 14 for Peyton Pritchard off the bench, 13 for Derek White, 11 for Al Horford. No Jason Tatum in this game. Uh, did not play. I haven't seen any kind of injury, injury update, so it might have been just a you know minor day-to-day type injury or rest, um, but otherwise still a nice win for them. That Celtics team has shown an ability, you know, whether Tatum misses a game, Brown misses a game. One of those guys has an off game. Uh, The Celtics are a deep team that even when one of those is out, it's still a tough team to beat. So credit to Indiana for getting a tough win there. Uh, Some clutch play towards the end, overcoming a Halliburton injury uh, for this game. And again, we'll get a little bit more into the details there once we get to the news. But with that, let's jump to the next game. This, for me, is one I'm super happy about. Of course, I've mentioned uh, most episodes that I'm a Jazz fan, and the Jazz got another great win. This time in Milwaukee against the Bucs, 132-116, to 116, and an especially dominant first half for the Jazz. How about a 33-point lead uh, just before the halftime break? I mean, they were shooting lights out. It was not necessarily defensive excellence from the Jazz. I mean, they weren't bad defensively in the first half, but they were just knocking down threes at a ridiculous clip. Uh, they cooled off to a great degree in the, uh, the second half, Bucks made a run. The Bucks brought it within 10 points by the end of the third quarter, but credit to the jazz for withstanding that they uh, bolstered up in the fourth quarter uh, withstood the surge from Giannis and those guys in the fourth. Uh, and they were able to hold on for the victory. So impressive, impressive win for the jazz looking at the first half stats. I want to just hone in on that for a second. The jazz, made 16 threes in the first half, shooting 53% from three-point range. And it was everybody, basically. Keate George had three. uh, Sexton had three. Markin had three. John Collins had two. Jordan Clarkson had two. Kelly Olenek had two. I mean, those guys were just shooting it unbelievably well. Uh, And they had a 77-point first half, which was phenomenal. And again, they slowed down in the second half, but they were still able to maintain a great pace overall. And they came up with a a big win in this one for Milwaukee. They were led by Giannis Antetokounmpo, 25 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists. So a triple double, uh, a little bit going to waste in the loss. 23 points for Chris Middleton, who had eight assists, two steals and a block as well. Middleton is looking better and better in recent weeks, which I think is a great sign. If you can have once Lillard is back and Middleton is shades of you know, a, a, a former all-star player. That's going to really help out the Bucks' cause. Uh, and then they'd maybe just have some small questions about uh, some of the the wing and guard play coming off the bench, but otherwise uh, they'll be improved. Uh, you've got 17 points from Leek Beasley and then uh, 13 points from Brook Lopez. Lopez with six rebounds, two blocks as well. Uh, Andre Jackson Jr. starting got two blocks at the guard spot. So pretty interesting there. Uh, but for the Jazz, they had five players in double figures, uh, all of them with either 19 or 21 points. Uh, Markinen with 21 and 14 rebounds, two blocks and a steal. Jordan Clarkson off the bench with 21 points. And then Colin uh, Colin Sexton, John Collins, and Keontae George, all with 19 points. They also got 13 from Kelly Olenek, so six players in double figures. Uh, and then Chris Dunn, 13 assists, two blocks and a steal. Uh, showcasing why he's still a valuable player for the Jazz, even though, I mean, he's a comeback player last year. He was kind of written off uh, for a season or two there, but now he's back and he's making an impact for the Jazz. He can impact winning basketball in games like this, so that's great to see. Uh, Well balanced, and again, the shooting lights out. A number of guys producing in the Jazz continuing to surge uh, with a chance if they can continue to string together more wins and losses, they could... Get back to five hundred, or maybe even go above five hundred, uh, for the first time in a while. So we'll have to see if that happens. But again, great win for the Jazz. Excited about that. Tough loss for Milwaukee. Um, let's go to the final game for Monday night, and we're going to talk about the L.A. Clippers dominating at home against the Phoenix Suns, Uh, even though the game was close at times. Final score, 138 to 111. Uh, It was mainly a big fourth quarter by the Clippers that won them this game. Um, The game was within five points for most of the first half. Clippers built a nice lead going into the third, uh, maintained the lead, and then early fourth, Suns started to make a run. They narrowed it down to a seven-point lead, and then suddenly the Clippers Dominated the rest of the way. Uh 30 to 9 run. Uh their largest lead was 30. They went by slightly less than that. But um yeah, great run by the Clippers against a Suns team that again, they've struggled, but we know the talent level they have. And Beal, Booker, and Durant are all out there now uh more consistently. Durant led the Suns in scoring with 30.7 rebounds. 3 of 6 from 3. They got 20 points from Devin Booker. 15 from Bradley Beal. 12 off the bench from uh, Eric Gordon. So, they had some scoring for those guys. Um, <laughs> Excuse me. So, with the Suns, you know, again, they have the talent level, but you got to give a lot of credit to the Clippers. A little bit more well-rounded attack. Um, a little more dynamic. And uh Rebounding assists defensively, um just more to kind of worry about with the Clippers. With the Suns, we know there's potential for great offense from their star players. You know, the three-point game from especially the supporting cast, Grayson Allen's had great moments, Eric Gordon. Um, they have size inside with some guys that like to hustle, Eubanks and Metu, but it, you, this Clippers team has really been impressive and, and a especially impressive win, kind of showing off all the elements you like to see. And uh, with, with them, they were led by uh, Paul George, 25 points, 7 rebounds, uh, 52% from the floor, 4 of 9 from 3. They got 19 each from both Ivica Zubac and uh, James Harden. Harden with 10 assists as well, playing that kind of... Uh, point guard, combo guard, roll with seven rebounds, two, three of four from three. And then you got uh, Zubats had eight rebounds, a steal, a block. Kawhi Leonard, 17 points, um, three rebounds, five steals, and a block. There's the defensive numbers you expect from a guy like Kawhi. Uh, 14 from Terrence Mann, and then 14 off the bench from Norman Powell. Westbrook, 9.7 assists, two steals. Just well balanced. And if these guys are content putting up these type of numbers and dominating games like this, regardless of their volume of stats, then Clippers really are a team to worry worry about and to watch out for. You don't want to have to be playing the Clippers when you get into the playoffs. Um and there's not much more I can add on that front. I mean, big run towards the end, now showcasing the ability to close out these games when you have, you know, a team with you know durant that can start to make a run and he can you know take over a game offensively then you respond with a massive run i mean just phenomenal stuff out rebounding out assisting um, shooting much better from the floor clippers just own this game and for the suns there's maybe some deeper questions we could be asking Um, of course with the western conference and even their division the uh, Lakers and the Warriors have been getting some more questions in regards to they've been losing a touch more games, and also they've uh, lost more lately. Uh, the, the Warriors and Lakers didn't have the excuses of no Bradley Beal for a long time and uh, missing some time from Booker as well. So we might start to have conversations about the Suns a little bit more about they're not bad. They're just kind of stagnant. And what are they going to be able to make that leap into – you know, a top three or four team that, you know, with the names, it's like, well, you, you know, that's the expectation when you make that kind of move to bring, to bring in another star guard, you have Beal and Booker along with Durant, you'd expect to be a top three or four team. They haven't quite been there again, injuries part of it, but now we might get more into that, those questions, but for the time being big win for the Clippers and uh, a big statement, again, adding to impressive play, Uh, they've had recently let's jump to uh tuesday's games last night's games we'll start with the minnesota timberwolves winning in orlando against the magic 113 to 92 big win for the wolves uh they continue to impress the magic continue to not slide but they're skidding a bit in terms of you know they're not as exciting as they were in much of december um late november early december you know they were a team that had emerged as suddenly a top four team in the Eastern conference. They've slid down to like seventh or eighth. I think Uh, they still have some ability. And again, Ben has been a guy I've been very impressed with. Uh, I'll continue to talk about him, but for the Timberwolves, they are a better team and they really showcased it in this 34 point lead early third quarter uh, never trailed. They dominated the game on uh, many fronts. I mean, Uh, more assists. The Magic had more defensive type of numbers and Timberwolves had more turnovers, but they shot uh, massive amounts better from the floor, from three-point range, and from the free throw line. Uh, Just finding better offensive opportunities and making shots when the the time comes, I suppose, is uh, sort of what that comes down to. For the Magic, they were led by Jalen Suggs, 20 points, uh, five boards, three steals in this game, four of eight from three. 21 points from Reitz Wagner off the bench. He was actually their leader in points. Uh, he was 8 of 11 from the free throw line. Eight rebounds as well. He's had some nice games lately. Uh Palom and Caro, 18 points, three steals, a block. Uh, Ten rebounds for Chuma Okeke starting at guard, interestingly enough. Uh, guard or forward, Caleb Houston was in there as well. Playing an interesting lineup. I think they've had some guys that have been injured lately, maybe. Um, 11 points from Trevlin Queen. Uh, who's three or four from three. I mean, I don't know. They they seem to be playing a touch shorthanded or playing with some interesting lineups. Uh, so so that's a factor. But for Minnesota, even with a strong Orlando Magic lineup, you figure the Timberwolves still have a good chance to win this. Carl anthony Towns led them. 28 points, six boards, five assists, three steals. Five of five from three. Uh, stuff in the stat sheet. And the same is for uh, Rudy Gobert. Uh, 21 points, 12 boards, three blocks. Um... Eight of ten from the floor. Those two guys controlled the game, so Anthony Edwards could have an off night and score score only six points, and they still win the game big. Uh, Fifteen points for Jaden McDaniels with nine rebounds. They got thirteen off the bench from Nas Reed, who also had ten rebounds, and then eleven each from Mike Conley and Kyle Anderson. Anderson's points coming off the bench, Conley with ten assists as well. Um, <clears throat> and the front court play of Minnesota, I think, is what's especially uh, exciting, the size advantage, the defensive abilities, the switchability, the versatility, the athleticism of a Towns and a Gobert, and then you add Reed into that. Who like Towns can stretch the floor. I mean, the combinations are just really interesting. You have, let's say, you have Reed and Towns on the floor. They can just shoot lights out from three, stretch your stretch your out offense out, and outscore teams and still be defensively uh solid or you know serviceable. You have Towns and Gobert, they can combine to be really exciting defensively and with the height advantage that can create some uh you know opportunities as well. And let's say you have Gobert and Reed, Reed will keep the floor spacing solid so Gobert can stay inside and focus on what he does best in terms of being You know, a lead defensive guy, an elite defensive player, eating up rebounds, all that kind of stuff. So it's really exciting to see what Minnesota uh, is doing. And we're going to have a lot to talk about on Friday's show as well after tonight's matchup with the Boston Celtics. Uh, For the moment, great win for them in Orlando last night. And then finally, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers got a big win at home, um, narrow win. One-point victory against the visiting Toronto Raptors, 132-131. to 131. Your final score in this game, Anthony Davis, a uh, big player in this one. 23 lead changes throughout. Um, the game was tied at nine different points. The No team had a lead bigger than eight points in this game. Um, and a lot of stats very close. Similar rebounding, similar assists, uh, defensive numbers, turnovers, shooting percentages. Raptors even shot a little bit better than the Lakers, but the Lakers shot better from the free throw line. Uh, so it just wired a wire and it came down to closing possessions and you got to give credit to the, to the Lakers for being able to pull this one out, especially overcoming a uh, Raptors offense that had seven players in double figures led by Scotty Barnes, 26 points. Uh, Pascal Siakam, 25 points. RJ Barrett, 23 points. Emmanuel quickly, 21 points, four starters scoring at least 20 points. RJ had 10 rebounds as well. Uh, Scotty Barnes with two blocks. Thaddeus Young starting at center, 10 points, but also three steals and a block. Interesting lineup that the, the Raptors played with Young starting at center. And then 14 points from Gary Trent Jr. off the bench, 10 points from Dennis Schroeder. Um, Just very well spread, but the same is true of the Lakers. And they got a star performance from one Anthony Davis, 41 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 of 2 from 3, 13 of 14 from the free throw line, especially late clutch free throws. Uh, Anthony Davis was able to help kind of make the difference for the the Lakers there. Credit to him, the monster stat line, and then a great stat line from LeBron as well. 22 points, 12 assists, 5 rebounds a steal and a block, fairly efficient shooting. I mean, that's a great one-two punch, and that's kind of what we've heard as far as the future of the Lakers. LeBron shifting the focus to Anthony Davis, him being the premier player, and LeBron being a sort of supporting player as much as he can be. I mean, he's still so multifaceted and and dynamic. He's got to be, you know, a co-star, at the least, you know, it's hard to see him as, oh, he's a, he's an afterthought to Anthony Davis in that sense of it, but a co-star and AD being a primary offensive threat in a sense, you know, I think that makes a little bit more uh, sense practically, but you no, know, those two guys phenomenal. And then five other players and double figures. So yeah, widespread offense, similar to Toronto, uh, it helped them be able to come up with the victory 14 points for Christian wood off the bench, uh, 13 for Cam Reddish. And then an eleven from uh both Torian Prince and Austin Reeves, as well as DeAngelo Russell off the bench having eleven points. So, you know, credit to the Lakers. Sometimes, two teams with a lot of guys scoring well, you know, one guy on one team having a much bigger offensive output can make just that enough, you know, that much of a difference to be able to uh make sure they're the team that wins. I guess that's really all I can add to that. A good good win for them. And those are the games that we wanted to focus on. The remaining games we didn't have a chance to talk a little bit more in depth on. uh, From Monday night, the Oklahoma City Thunder won in Washington against the Wizards, 136-128. to Uh, The Bulls beat the Hornets in Charlotte, 119-112 to in an overtime game. Terry Rozier was huge in that game, 39 points, 8 assists. And I want to say that he had uh something like seven or eight three-pointers. Let me double check that. Seven threes on 13 attempts for Terry Rozier. Uh but the Bulls aided by Kobe White's 27 points, not to mention both Andre Drummond and the recently returned Nikola Vucevic having 21 point double-double nights. Uh if Drummond can continue his elevated play with Vucevic back in the lineup, that could give Chicago a needed boost. As they look to maybe try and slip into a play in picture again. Um, but otherwise, big win for Chicago there in Charlotte. The Miami Heat won at home against the Houston Rockets 120 to 113, um, with Bam out of bio posting a double double and Fred Van Vliet 32 points in that game. Then finally on Tuesday, the other games we didn't have a chance to talk about there. The Sacramento Kings won in Detroit against the Pistons 131 to 110. I held off just because we've talked a lot of Pistons. Uh, conversations lately, but first of all, DeMontis a 37 points, 10 rebounds, 13 assists, another triple double. He's been especially dominant lately, but also the Kings became the sixth team in the last 25 years to trail in a game by 20 or more points and then win that game by 20 or more points. Um, I mean, that's quite a stat and that's quite a run for the Pistons have such a hot start and then to lose it late. Um, unfortunately it's been a, a story of their season for the most part, but a uh, big win for, for Sacramento and interesting that those six teams in the last 25 years, three of those have been in the last three years. So uh, some of that makes sense with the, the increased offensive output in recent seasons, uh, this season, of course, being, uh, another step up more elevated scoring this season compared to last season and the season before, but anyways, uh, great win for, for Sacramento there. New York Knicks won at home against the Portland Trailblazers, 112-84. to 84. That is their fifth straight win since acquiring OG on an there and defeated with OG. And that's the highest plus minus for any player in his first five games with a new team since 1998. Uh, he's plus 111 in five games with the Knicks. That's surpassing, if I can remember correctly, Quentin Richardson with the, the Suns, uh, Kevin Garnett with the Celtics, Some bigger moves that help teams out, Um, that's a big one for them. And then finally, the Memphis Grizzlies won in Dallas against the Mavericks, 120-103, to Uh, well-balanced scoring for Memphis, overcoming combined 60-plus points from Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. They had 30-something each. So big wins for those teams, and that's the remaining action from uh, the last couple of nights. That being said, let's jump into the the key news uh, to wrap up this first main big segment uh, for the Clippers. We have a couple of big contracts, starting with the Clippers uh, and Kawhi Leonard. They've agreed to a three-year, $150 million, $153 million contract extension. So Kawhi has secured his contractual future with the Clippers for another few years. Um, don't really see any reason why that would change. Um, unless the Clippers were to suddenly tank for a couple of seasons and there was suddenly a trade request, but they're playing well. Great timing to to make that kind of a move. They've secured their future uh, for the next few seasons uh, for the Miami heat head coach, Eric Spolstra and the heat have agreed to a eight year, $120 million contract extension, which apparently is the most committed money to a coach in NBA history. And well-deserved. I mean, Spolster is a guy that will, when they make a great playoff run and they make it to the finals, he'll, he'll get the credit he deserves outside of that. He gets forgotten because he's a, he's a quiet guy. Only time we really talk about him is the coaching itself, you know? Um, and maybe you talk about his, his rise to an NBA coach, of course, starting with the heat film room and the nineties and all that stuff. Uh, It's a great story for sure, but I mean, of course, Popovich legacy wise is probably the greatest coach in the NBA at this moment. Uh, Steve Kerr could be in that conversation for my money and the job that he's done with Miami. It's hard to pick a coach better than Eric Spolstra in the NBA at this moment in the last couple of seasons. Uh, He's been phenomenal. So well-deserved money there. And uh, a big move for Miami to secure a coach like that for another few seasons, another near decade, actually. So that's great stuff for them. Uh, Outside of that, those two big contracts, we have another uh, bunch of transactions that have been made. Memphis Grizzlies re-signed guard Vince Williams Jr. to a rest-of-season contract. I believe that's, you know, a restructuring. He was already on a two-way deal, but they've converted maybe more to a standard contract. Uh, So... Maybe they're going to free up a spot for a a two-way deal. Uh, The Utah Jazz waived guard Josh Christopher, who was on a two-way contract, and have signed guard Jason Preston to replace that two-way contract. Uh, The Washington Wizards waived guard Ryan Rollins and signed guard Hamadou Diallo to a 10-day contract to replace him. And then the Kings, they had recently waived forward Juan Toscano Anderson. They've signed him to a 10-day contract. So I guess maybe... That creates a sense of urgency, you know, see if we can see a little more out of you before we wave you fully and maybe secure you with some other type of two way or whatever, but uh, that's a move they've made. And then uh, we have a bunch of injury updates. And uh, firstly, that Halliburton one, the details on that. He's out at least two weeks with a left hamstring strain. That's kind of the expectation. And I'll probably be really reevaluated in that time. Um, but definitely a tough loss with the way the Pacers have been surging lately. But again, with McConnell as the backup, for him to be able to come in and play a quality point guard, um, an above average backup point guard for a Pacers team, and they've got plenty of offense to make up for the lack of Hal Burton's shooting. Um, can they remain as efficient as Hal Burton? Maybe not quite as efficient in terms of assists to turnovers, but uh, they have a chance to still string some wins together. Uh, So we'll have to see what happens with the Pacers. Some other injury updates uh, for the Detroit Pistons. Guard Cade Cunningham is out uh, one to two weeks with a left knee strain. Uh, Definitely tough news for them, especially with their struggles this season. For the Toronto Raptors, center Yaka Pirtle is out indefinitely with a left ankle sprain. Um, we'll have to keep you posted on when they post any, uh, timeline updates on that. And then finally, um, for the Golden State Warriors, Chris Paul guard, Chris Paul to be reevaluated in three weeks, uh, following that surgery on his fractured left hand. So that gives us a little bit more of a timeline for Chris Paul, uh, for all four of these guys, Halliburton, Cunningham, Pertle, and Paul, we want to wish them all the best as they work to recover from these injuries and get back on the court as soon as possible and stay on the court. Uh, you know, avoid uh, further long-term injuries. So our last news item, uh, an NBA-specific one, uh, the NBA announced the 2024 Team Sales and Marketing Awards. Um, and I don't remember if they even announced these last year, if this is a brand-new thing. Um, here's the awards. Team of the Year Sacramento Kings uh, for, quote, their outstanding success, Outstanding business growth and impactful fan and community engagement efforts. Team had its highest season ticket renewal campaign in franchise history. And ranked number two among all NBA teams in ticket revenue growth. Um ranked number one in game experience, new e-commerce and in arena team store, uh, so on and so forth. So light the beam, of course, was a big part of that. Uh so yeah, big stuff for the Kings. They're also NBA Team Innovation Award uh, for the Victory Beam for, for the Light the Beam uh, ceremony and all that stuff. Uh, Victory Beam had a notable impact on the local community and team business as the initiative fueled new merchandise offerings, digital content opportunities, and more than 6,000 media stories. So interesting stuff there. Uh, team Viewership Innovation Award, Utah Jazz, for what they've done with Jazz Plus and K Jazz. Um, local games available on local uh, over-the-air cable TV, KJAZZ, and then subscription service, Jazz Plus. Um, <clears throat> 53% increase in average viewership compared to last season. Um, I mean, when you're not having to search out the one place where you can find AT&T Sportsnet, it's definitely easier to watch games. Um, the NBA Inclusion Leadership Award, Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, for its expanded Pack the Vote initiative. Uh, let's see. Timberwolves leveraged their platform to support the restoration of voting rights in Minnesota uh, in response to H- HF28 bill. Um, yeah, sorry, just reading through these, see what some of these meant. Uh, Guest Experience Innovation Award Allison Wright, Golden State Warriors. Um, introducing and launching creative initiatives centered around leadership development, project management, employee recognition, and guest feedback. New annual employee survey, uh, lunch and learn sessions. So that's kind of what uh, what they did for the Warriors. And then finally, uh, values of the game award, Sean Martinez of the Phoenix Suns. Uh, led the Sun's efforts to recognize the local Native American community in unique ways. Uh, Part of that, of course, was last season's City Edition jerseys were were part of that uh, celebration. Um, They also had uh, Native American performers and authentic in-game programming uh, during those themed nights. Uh, They had 10 of those throughout all of last season. Uh, So, yeah, interesting awards. I think there's a lot of good stuff there. Uh, Definitely recommend looking into those, but uh, fun stuff. Good to see some of those, you know, ways to improve fan experiences and to engage more with community and to support communities. Uh, I think that's always good stuff for, you know, no matter what team you're talking about, no matter what city. So uh, that takes care of that segment. Let's go ahead and jump into uh, the segment we haven't done for a little bit and a segment that has two variations and the variation we haven't done for a very long time. Uh, But we're going to get into our normal Wednesday stuff, finally, and we're going to do our game segments. Uh, So let's start that right now. All right. The last time we did a game segment, We did, of course, our pseudo 20 guesses game. Uh, If you're not familiar, we have a game when uh, we have a co-host, usually Wyatt this season. Um, If he's a co-host on a Wednesday, we'll do either 20 guesses or the other game we'll do today, but we'll get to that in just a second. 20 guesses is we, we each pick a player that we want the other person to try and guess, and that other person has 20 guesses to try and guess that player. But when we haven't had a co-host on uh, we've done a very much abbreviated version of that. There's not really even the 20 guesses in there. Um, But it starts with me just giving you the career stat line and then it's posted on again, our social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, And then you have a chance to respond there, guess who the player might be and then it's revealed the next day. Um, So we've been playing that, but the last time we did this game, uh, which is Justin's showdown, was nearly a month ago. Uh, three days from now, it will have been a month ago, December thirteenth. Uh, and uh, I'm glad we're back on it, and we're going to do something that's a matchup that's not necessarily a surprise, um, but is certainly a intriguing scenario to talk about. But again, Justin's showdown, we just pick two teams from NBA history that are intriguing to think about in a matchup against each other, who would win, what would the matchup look like, how would they line up against each other, all those kind of things. Um, But, yeah, we haven't done it for a while. The last time we did it, we did the 73 Knicks and the 76 Celtics, uh, two teams of the 70s that were dominant, the two best teams of the 70s in terms of uh, championships in that decade. Um, Overall winning and impact, on the game, I mean, the Knicks for sure, the early 70s Knicks, uh, especially those 1970 Knicks, are considered one of the best teams in NBA history. Um, the 73 as well, they just added more great names and had a ridiculously stacked lineup. And the same was true as the 76 Celtics. I mean, five former or current All-Stars uh, all in the same starting lineup. I want to say it was five. Maybe it was four. I'm pretty sure it was five because it would have been JoJo White, Charlie Scott, John Havlicek, Paul Silas, and then uh, Dave Callens. So yeah, all five of those were all-stars at one point or another in their career. And the 73 Knicks was very similar. I mean, Walt Frazier, Earl Monroe. Um, Bill Bradley wasn't quite an all-star, but he was highly touted. Um, Dave DeBusher, Willis Reed, and then you have Jerry Lucas off the bench. Phil Jackson, who became a great coach. Um, Dean Memager. I mean, they had uh, a stacked lineup in in the uh, early 70s there. So so that was our last matchup. But today's is a much more commonly posed one. And in similar fashion to that 70s one, we're talking about the two best teams of the 1980s. And apologies to the Philadelphia 76ers, because they deserve to be in the mix. The top three teams of the, of the 1980s were certainly uh, – And well, and even Detroit. I mean, the Pistons were very good. So apologies to the Sixers and the Pistons. But when we're being serious, the two very best teams of the 1980s, the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers, won most of the championships in the 80s, the two most dominant players of the 80s, and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. And they also have two specific seasons. Each of them has one specific season, which those teams are considered the best, some of the best teams in NBA history. And we mentioned it on last ep- the last episode, our This Day in History fact, when as part of the 1997 uh, 50th anniversary season celebrations, the NBA announced the 10 greatest teams in league history, and they announced uh, both of these teams as part of that. And without further ado, The teams are the 1986 Boston Celtics that won 67 games. They went uh, 15 and 3 in the playoffs, uh, won the finals versus the Houston Rockets, four games to two. And then you had the 87 Lakers, 65 and 17, and they went 15 and 3 in the playoffs as well, won the finals 4 to 2 versus the Boston Celtics in 87. Uh, just two phenomenal rosters. We'll start with the first of them chronologically: the Boston Celtics at '86. Head coach Casey Jones, who, of course, as a player, had been a a great Celtic himself, had won uh how many championships did he win as a player? Let me see if I can find that. Eight championships as a player, as a point guard for most of those. Uh, Bill Russell led Celtics teams in the very late fifties and throughout much of the sixties. Uh, so of course he was a great, great player. And then as a coach, uh, a leader of these great eighties Celtics teams. Uh, and then you get to the roster. We mentioned Larry bird. You're talking about one of the greatest players of all time, full stop An MVP that same season. Uh, multiple-time All-Star, Finals MVP, All-Defensive Team, uh, Hall of Famer. I mean, 26 points a game, nearly 10 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals, uh, shooting 42% from 3 ahead of his time as a 3-point scorer. He was great. Kevin McHale, one of the great power forwards, 21 points a game, 8 boards, 2.5 assists, uh, 2 blocks, the defensive impact, and high efficient scoring inside. Robert Parrish starting at center, 16 points, nearly 10 rebounds, one and a half blocks, about one steal, Uh, efficient inside as well, Uh, not looking to score as much as support, but that's one of the great front courts ever, you know, end of discussion. And then you have Dennis Johnson, an underrated point guard who had already been a championship before coming to the Celtics with the, the Supersonics, but then comes to the Celtics and leads them as a veteran player. Uh, fifteen and a half points, six assists, one and a half steals, defensive point guard play, and then Danny Ainge, the young guy at the lineup, providing some outside shooting and some scoring, and some additional playmaking, and then the depth too. You have Bill Walton, the former MVP, as your sixth man, who's the sixth man of the year. Uh, further solidifying that front court, having a guy like him coming off the bench. Uh, giving you seven rebounds and about a block a game and 20 minutes off the bench. Very, very good. Scott Wedman, who had been, I believe an all-star at one point in his career. He was a two-time all-star in Kansas city with the Kings in the mid seventies, 10 years prior. So he comes to the Celtics a little bit towards the end tail end of his career. Um, Maybe not quite tail tail end. Uh, Yeah. Tail end of his career. Um, and he has a chance to be a great reserve player for them, scoring and shooting off the bench. Rick Carlisle, of course, who became a great head coach in his own right, uh, right now with the Pacers. Um, but won a championship with the Mavericks in 2011. Um, Jerry Sitsing, uh backup point guard. And then, you know, they had some other guys as well who were decent players. But, you know, 10 through 13 are guys that maybe would have been more 7 through 10 on some other teams as far as the depth. But you have three guys, sitting Walton, and Wedman, who would have been starting for maybe a good number of other teams in the league, but they just had some great depth on the Celtics squad, and they were stacked. Um, and then you look at the, the 87 Lakers, coached by Pat Riley, one of the great basketball figures, uh, full stop. I mean, of course, as a coach with these 80s Lakers, then with the 90s Knicks, and then the late 90s Heat, and then, of course, as an executive with the Heat from the mid-2000s on. Um, I mean, he he's a great, uh, great knowledge of the game. And then the roster itself, Magic Johnson at an MVP level, 24 points, 12 assists, 6 rebounds, nearly 2 steals. Um, You know, shades of, LeBron has shades of Magic's game LeBron is much more offensively gifted, can definitely shoot where Magic was not really a shooter. Um, Both may be comparable in their post-scoring abilities, uh, different ways of scoring in the post. but um, LeBron is one of the best passers in the league right now. Magic was way, way better than LeBron. I mean, Magic is... Magic and Stockton are the two best distributors of the ball in the history of the game in my mind. I mean that's where where it sits. Just unbelievable. And then you have a, a aging Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 39 years old, still very effective. 17 points, 6 nearly 7 rebounds, a block, uh nearly 3 assists. Aging but still very effective. Along with magic, and then they were building a great lineup themselves. AC Green, uh, who would go on to be an Iron Man, uh, starting at power forward, 10 points, eight rebounds. You have James Worthy, the overqualified third man on the team. Uh, about 19 points a game, uh, six rebounds, one steal, one block, three assists. Yeah, Byron Scott starting at shooting guard, 17 points a game, shooting 43% from three. Uh, Three rebounds, three assists, one and a half steals. Like the Celtics, just a ridiculously great lineup. Starting, get it off the bench, you have Michael Cooper, the defensive player of the year. You have Michael Thompson, who was an all-rookie team member uh, about a decade prior. A near all-star with the Trailblazers. Then you have Kurt Rambis, who was a... effective forward, you know, rebounder, and could play that enforcer role against those Celtics who those teams are so physical against each other in the eighties, a rough and tumble era basketball. Um, Wes Matthews, Wesley Matthews, dad, as a backup reserve point guard, Frank Burkowski, who would go on to be a very uh, solid serviceable, a uh, little bit of a stretch forward, uh, in the mid to late 90s or early to mid 90s, I mean, I mean, Billy Thompson was a decent forward. Both these teams were just so stacked, and I'm far from the only person to ever talk about the 86 Celtics versus the 87 Lakers, um, and how well matched those two teams were. Of course, they had numerous battles throughout the 80s in the finals, um, in the regular season. Two teams that hated each other, the rivalry, of the Celtics and Lakers, you know, they were rivals in the 60s, and that was very intense in that time. In the 70s, some of that had been lost, but the 80s really solidified what the Celtics and Lakers means for the league's history. I mean, that that encapsulated it. And you you see it again, no matter what the record, how the teams are doing, Celtics Lakers matters. and these teams establish that. And so for their two best teams, the hypothetical just being one year apart, what if it had been the same year? What if they had faced in the finals? who who would have won? Who would have played well? Who would have you know been a difference maker? It's just a really interesting one to talk about. And so, again, that's why I wanted to focus on it. It's not a completely original one, but it's <clears throat> it's a great hypothetical. So, again, we'll have it posted on our social uh, media pages so you can go on there and have a chance to uh, voice your thoughts, what players you might think would do well, uh, who would win this type of a matchup, uh, whether it's one game, whether it's a playoff series. Uh, I just think it's fun to start that kind of a conversation about Uh, some of the great teams in NBA history. So that's about it for uh, our Justin's showdown segment. And again, that's the name of it because of our other co-host, Justin. He's kind of the one who first posed that idea for us for a segment. So Justin, thanks again. Um, And we're going to get him on the podcast at some point during the season, I'm sure. Uh, But otherwise, that is it for that segment. Let's go ahead and move on. Uh, to our last main segment before we wrap up uh, tonight's show. And that's going to be our latest weekly prediction. Weekly predictions. Okay. We're going to talk Wenminyama again. Um, and we'll probably talk about it more on Friday. It looks like he's put up some big stats in tonight's game. But um, <clears throat> there's talk that the Spurs have been adjusting the lineup uh, as they've continued to struggle this season and talk about him either moving to center or having been moved to center in recent games. Um, I think, I think he did move to center and that's what kind of what prompted this. I was thinking about more specifically his blocks this season. He's leading the league in blocks per game. And I believe total blocks as a result of that. About 3.3 blocks per game, which is one of the higher totals I've seen in recent seasons. Um, out of curiosity, I was looking at some of the higher block totals in uh, of all time for any single season. Uh, the record <clears throat> belongs to one Mark Eaton of the Utah Jazz, who averaged how many was it? 5.6 blocks per game, which is a total of 456 blocks in a season. That is not going to happen. Wembenyama is not going to surpass that record. And again, shout out to Mark for that phenomenal record. That would be quite a stretch. But I was digging through and I found, hey, David Robinson, uh, a guy that you know Wembenyama draws comparisons to as a Spurs number one overall pick. Robinson, Duncan, and Wembenyama. Big, tall, defensively inclined uh Not quite unicorns, Wembanyama, of course, but exciting prospects with unique height and and length and and body uh, possibilities, I suppose, in that sense. So David Robinson, his rookie season averaged uh, 3.9 blocks per game, and that was just one block shy of the following season where he had one block shy in the total that is he had 319 total blocks his rookie year 320 blocks his uh his second season uh but both of those are an average of 3.9 blocks per game because he played the same number of games um but what i'm getting at is when is about 3.3 my prediction is that with his recent move to center victor Wembenyama will surpass david robinson's rookie season blocks total this season and I think that's a stretch, in a sense. I mean, again, Wembenyama about three point three, Robinson about three point nine. It's going to take an even. It's going to take a jump from where he's at, which is already stellar, to be able to break that kind of a uh, a mark. But he's been great, and especially his fire and passion. He's getting better every game. The Spurs hopefully will get better as as he's getting better. He has shown more of a a passion than he even you would hope for he, he really wants to win. He doesn't want to just be getting better and developing as a rookie. He wants to start winning and you got to love that. And especially with him playing center, he's going to have more opportunities to impact the game defensively uh, with his length. I, I I think this has a chance. I don't think it's super likely, but I think it has a chance to happen. So I'm going to predict it and uh, we'll see what happens, but that's where I'm going with my weekly prediction And uh, for the most part, that kind of takes care of our show. I'll go ahead and give you a this Day in History fact before uh, we wrap things up. Today we're going back uh, about 20 years to uh, January 10th of 2003. Uh, January 10th of 2003, the NBA announced that Charlotte, North Carolina had been awarded an NBA expansion franchise. The team would be known as the Charlotte Bobcats before eventually changing to the Charlotte Hornets for the 2014-2015 to NBA season. Of course, remember... Just a season or two prior, the old Charlotte Hornets had moved to New Orleans to become the Hornets, and then that vacated a spot in Charlotte. The league was eager to make sure there was a team still in Charlotte, so there was an expansion franchise that became the Bobcats. Then in the 2013 season, or the 2013 offseason, the Hornets announced we're changing our name to the Pelicans which then vacated the Hornets' name for the Charlotte uh, Bobcats to then take and become the new Charlotte Hornets. So it's an interesting uh, history that those two teams have kind of weaved for each other. But anyways, that's our fact for today, and that's about it for our show. Uh, thank you all again for listening. We really appreciate it. And I thank you for uh, remaining patient with me, hopefully, throughout my sickness. Even though it might not sound much better, if it does sound better at all, it might sound worse, for all I know, compared to Monday. I have been feeling better, generally. I'm hoping that by our Friday show, I will be basically all good to go and and all, uh, you know, 100% feeling better. Uh, We'll have to see if that happens. But for now, I'll just go ahead and and sign off here. Thank you again uh, for tuning in, and we'll be back on Friday. With our, you know, our wrap-up show, we'll do our franchise focus for uh, a team we talked about a bit, the Los Angeles Lakers, one of the great franchises in NBA history. We'll check out on the fantasy front. We'll forecast the weekend's games, all that good stuff on our Friday episode. So definitely a lot to look forward to there. Otherwise, uh, we'll see you then.